Welcome to Citizens Climate Radio, your climate change podcast. In this show, we highlight people's stories, we celebrate your successes, and together we share strategies for talking about climate change. I'm your host, Peterson Toscano. Welcome to episode 90 of Citizens Climate Radio, a project of Citizens Climate Education. This episode is airing on Friday, November 24th, 2023. I absolutely adore walking in the woods. Especially in big forests. I grew up in the Catskill Mountains in the U.S. state of New York. My grandmother's house sat on the edge of 10 acres of hilly woods. I explored every nook and cranny of it. I picked wild blueberries and walked up and down the stream that ran through it looking for brightly colored salamanders. Then when I went to university in New York City, I regularly explored the rambling woods in Central Park and Van Cortlandt Park. Forests are not only beautiful, they are an essential part of our efforts to regulate the climate. This is true in rural spaces and in cities. Today's episode includes conversations about different types of forests. It has plenty of geeky stuff for tree nerds and important insights for climate advocates. In this show, you will hear from a group of students at Allegheny College in Pennsylvania who tell us about the food forests they proposed, designed, and planted. The students reveal the important steps it took to gain approval and cooperation from faculty, staff, and fellow students. To tell us about large forests, we feature Van Wagner. Van is a former forester and coal miner who now teaches science in a high school. But most people in central Pennsylvania know Van as a storyteller and singer-songwriter. I attended one of his performances earlier this year. In it, Van Wagner revealed historical facts about the harvesting and transporting of trees before the time of railroads. You may be surprised to learn who did this work and how they did it with sustainability in mind. As part of an effort to promote healthy forest, Van has been spending time climbing very tall trees. And you'll hear the chat I had with Taylor Lightman. Taylor leads an effort to revitalize the country town of Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. Walk around the town and you will see old-fashioned lanterns, Victorian buildings, and many trees lining the street. Taylor tells me, though, many more trees are needed, and why. He outlines for us the many benefits of tree planting as he shares insider tips and recommendations. Oh, and Dina Nucitelli joins us with the Nerd Corner. He shares even more insights into trees and forests. Let's begin in Penn's Woods, or the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. PA has a legacy of being one of the more heavily wooded states in the USA. The Pennsylvania Department of Conservation and Natural Resources states that forests cover more than 60% of Pennsylvania. 
That is over 15 million acres. This includes deep forests in the northern tier. In the south, you will find forested ridges. Throughout the state, various woodlots and urban and community forests abound. Even though this land was covered in trees for thousands of years, most of the trees today are younger than 100 years old. Now that may sound old to some people, but the eastern pine tree can live up to 400 years. Left undisturbed by loggers, maple and oak trees can live for 300 years or more. And the eastern hemlock can grow to over 100 feet and live for 800 years. But when you walk through the millions of acres of forest in Pennsylvania, you'll see that only 1% of that is original old-growth forest. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, logging companies engaged in an intense period of logging and deforestation. They stripped the mountains bare. But it wasn't always this way. There is a much longer history of sustainability and stewardship in these lands. The Susquehannock, Haudenosaunee, and Lenape, among other original inhabitants, maintained the land so it remained rich in wildlife. And while early European settlers did clear land for crops and towns, they also recognized the forests were important to protect. That is some of what Van Wagner shares in his presentations about the Susquehanna River Valley. A former coal miner and forester, Van now teaches agriculture science at Danville Area High School. Earlier this year, I heard Van sing his original songs about local history and tell stories about days gone by. He also told us about his ambitious and slightly dangerous campaign to get people thinking about forests. All I need is my cross my double-bit axe and trees to fall. The spring is coming, I can smell it all taking white pine down the Susquehanna River to the markets in southern Pennsylvania. Your ancestors did this for going on 200 years. This was a staple in the Susquehanna Valley. And I can't stress that enough. This is your family story. I have a lot of folks that will tell me like, oh, no, no, my family, we weren't loggers. We were farmers. Farmers is who that song is about. There were not loggers. That word logger is a fairly modern word. The idea that a person who would go out in the woods and cut 12 months of the year with a cross-cut saw, that's a fairly modern, that's like Civil War era. Before that, America got its lumber from farmers. They would go out in the winter months and they'd cut white pine and they'd skid it to the edge of the river or if you were on a creek, you'd skid it there first and then float it down. They didn't just float the logs. Your ancestors put them together in a platform. They would attach their logs together. And then they would float their logs, their private property, to Marietta, Lancaster County. If you want a round number, I usually tell audiences, about $100 for a log raft. And it took a family of five to get it there. It was usually dad or granddad and a couple kids or brother-in-laws helping. So 
Is $100 a lot of money in the 1830s, 40s, 50s? Well, you're a farmer. Farmers don't make money. They make food. You know, so it was one of the few cash commodities that farmers could make if you were from up in the rural parts of the state. So it was the only thing that you could grow on your property and get to market while it was still fresh. Can't do that with dairy in the 1830s and 40s. So whiskey, furs, and white pine were some of the things your ancestors could produce and then ship down in the spring. I laugh when I read in my textbook, and in the textbook it says that like, the environmental movement began in 1970 with the first Earth Day. Okay, God bless those of you that were in 1970, the first Earth Day. That's an important thing. That's not when it started. My German ancestors here in the Susquehanna River Valley, they knew about sustainability. You didn't ruin the family farm. You didn't cut all the trees down. That's your money for next year. And these kids, when they grow up, they're going to make money off that stand of trees. Give those folks credit in our, in our story. I'm trying to climb to the highest point in all 67 counties of Pennsylvania. And when I get there, I'm climbing the highest tree I can find. You might say, that's just an attention getter. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm trying to get the press's attention. And when they stick a microphone in my face, I talk about trees and forestry. And it's working beautifully. I'm very passionate about Pennsylvania's forests. I think maybe it's the teacher in me. I don't know. But I, I find I get heartbroken when I run into other Pennsylvanians that maybe aren't passionate or at least knowledgeable about the forest. And so it gives me about 10 seconds of America's attention to say, forests are really important. Learn more. And that's all I'm trying to do. So I've already done Northumberland County, Montour, Union, Schuylkill. And then yesterday I did three in one. I, I did uh, Columbia County, Luzerne County, and Sullivan County. And then I went home and slept. That was hard. I don't plan on doing three in one day again. But um, Yeah, how much life insurance are you carrying? <laughs> <laughs> I do tree work. And there's this weird thing that happens in my head when I'm climbing. I'm going up high. Once I get to a point where from here up, I know I'm not going to wake up if I hit, I'm actually pretty relaxed at that. <laughs> but getting to that point, I hate that. It's like that first 60 feet I really don't like. That was Van Wagner. As of this recording, he's climbed trees in 27 of the 67 Pennsylvania counties. You can learn more about him, hear his music online, and read his articles about coal mining, forest, and history. Visit vanwagnermusic.com. If you want to track his progress climbing trees, just Google Van Wagner Highest Climbs. I put links in the show notes for you. Coming up, two of my guests reveal the many benefits of growing more trees in cities and towns. You would think planting trees is a no-brainer, but tree planters face challenges they must overcome. Have you ever experienced biting into a fruit or a vegetable that you picked yourself from an orchard or a garden? It has to be one of my greatest pleasures. 
I never pass by juicy blackberries or mulberries without picking and eating a bunch. When I heard college students created a food forest on their campus, I had to learn more about it. Earlier this year, I attended the Northeast Student Farmer Conference at Penn State University. Three students from Allegheny College led a breakout group about the process of pitching the idea of a food forest. They explained the steps, many steps, to get it approved, planned, and planted. Allegheny is a celebrity campus for people in the world of sustainability. It is one of the very first universities in the United States to achieve climate neutrality. If you want to make a difference on your own campus or in your community, Ashlyn Peachy, Nicholas Waddington, and Katie Mallory have an answer. A food forest. I recorded their presentation. Here are highlights from it. Allegheny College is really devoted to doing our part in fighting climate change and the impact of climate change on our campus. And as one of the first colleges to achieve carbon neutrality in the country, we have been consistently supported by our administration. There have been a number of initiatives spearheaded by both faculty and students in areas like forestry and pollinator support, sustainable agriculture, renewable energy, and a lot of food waste management as well. If you're not familiar, Food Forest is a diverse planting of mostly edible crops, which when planted together, amplify their natural benefits and increase mutualistic relationships with the goal of mimicking the patterns and systems we see of naturally occurring ecosystems. It provides a lot of climate and ecosystem services like filtering rainwater, preventing erosion, improving soil health, and increasing microorganism activity. Forest garden is split into seven layers. By stratifying that and by creating distinct layers, you can plant and reduce species competition for resources, which allows you to maximize the use of your space and really build some, some good relationships between crops. Food forest is also an example of permaculture which is a design framework that was popularized by David Holmgren and Bill Mollison. Although it's strongly rooted in indigenous knowledge and land management practices, it really emphasizes community care, land stewardship, and equitable distribution of resources, which highlights community environment that's anchored in respect and reciprocity. Permaculture really brings out the best in the members of its guilds. And that's not only plants, that's also the communities who try and practice permaculture. Sweet. So now that we all have permaculture on the mind, we're going to talk about how it came to Allegheny College. It really started when one student five years ago, Sebastian McRae, came to Allegheny college with like a passion for permaculture and he started all of these conversations. So in talking to faculty and peers, there was a lot of energy and decided to form a student group that would focus on permaculture on campus. 
He created Sustainable Design Team, which is a student-run group on campus with goals of promoting sustainability and efficiency on campus. Really, we like to look around the college landscape and we see a grass lawn and we're like, well, what can we transform this into? It's not what it is, it's what it can be. And that's like a big guiding function of Sustainable Design Team. No one on Allegheny campus had done this before or done anything like it before. So how do we even get the ball rolling and who needs to approve this project? So it started with a lot of conversations with a lot of different stakeholders around campus. So we had a lot of support from our wonderful environmental science faculty. We had a lot of support from the sustainability director and office on campus. And they all had a lot of really important and great feedback that got taken into our designing process. We also talked to our admissions, <laughs> admissions office because they were people who would kind of sell this to incoming students. And we also, a really important group was campus maintenance because we didn't want to step on our toes and we didn't want to make more work fit them. So we really needed to include them in the conversation of how this was going to go into the college landscape and how students were going to maintain this project. At the same time, the students got to be really creative in building a food forest. It was all student ideas of like, what kind of trees do we want? How do we want this to function? What are things that are important to us in this design? Eventually, we gained budget approval from our Allegheny student government. People were really excited for this project. So we finally broke ground and planted in 2022 last year. This project started in 2018, so it did take four years. We have eight guilds built around eight fruit trees. So we have apples, pears, peaches, and in there there's berries, there's strawberries, raspberries, nitrogen fixtures, and they're all meant to interact with one another. There's about 60 supporting species in the food forest, most of them edible. But important parts of our designs was that our food forest was going to be interactive. This wasn't something for students to look at, but this is a place for students to go in and be and interact with the land around them. Yeah, from our combined years of engagement with this project, we've really taken away that climate and campus resilience is hugely community-driven project. It doesn't work like gills when you're isolated from those around you. We're stronger and more productive when we work together. That was Ashley Peachy, Nicholas Waddington, and Katie Mallory, students from Allegheny College. If you want to learn more about their food forest and the details around their climate neutrality achievement, I put links in our show notes. Visit cclusa.org radio. My name is Taylor Lightman. I grew up in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, and that's where I currently live. I went to college in Northfield, Minnesota, and then I also went to grad school in Lund, Sweden, where I did my master's in disaster risk management and climate change adaptation. I'm trying to figure out a way to do climate-smart neighborhood revitalization. I think there's no better place to do that in, in one's hometown. Currently, I'm the uh, director of a small nonprofit called Lewisburg Neighborhoods, and we're the neighborhood revitalization coordinator for the borough of Lewisburg. The borough of Lewisburg is delightfully cozy little town nestled on the banks of the Susquehanna River, one of the oldest river valleys in the world, older than the Nile. 
I would imagine the average person coming, say, from Philadelphia or parts of New York would come to Lewisburg and say, wow, this is a green oasis. It's such a beautiful paradise, this rural village. I guess it's a village. Is it considered a city? They'd call it a borough. Yeah. You know, it's just trees and green everywhere. It's amazing. What's your response to that person? There's two, there's two ways that I would respond to that. The first is, is this moment of gratitude. We do have a great urban forest because of decades of people putting in the work, growing trees, and these trees are a testament to that labor. So it's gratitude for all of that work that's brought us to this current moment. But then also, and this is probably because I walk around a lot and look at places where trees can be, I see unfinished work. It's gratitude and then it's acknowledgement of, well, yeah, well, we, it's beautiful, but we, we still have work we need to do and there's, there's still trees we need to grow. I think more and more people are hearing more and more buzz about trees. And yeah. Republicans have had a plan to plant lots of trees. Why are trees particularly important, important in this time in history? Trees do a lot of things for us and a lot of things for the environment, very material things like sequestering carbon filtering stormwater, particulate matter outside of the, out of the air. But they also provide habitat for the biome, you know, all the flora and fauna that are a part of our town too. Beyond the material things that they provide us, they also do a lot for us emotionally as well. I, I, there's something very uneasy that happens when I find that I'm walking on a treeless street, no shade. I just feel like I'm exposed in some ways. And it turns out that there's something to that. Streets with trees on them, the shops do better. They get more customers when there's trees on the streets. You know, and then also we know that when people are driving on streets and roads with trees, they behave less aggressively too and they drive slower. Trees give us tangible things and, you know, material benefits, but they also give us things that are that are a little bit elusive but but very real as well. With your studies in climate change and addressing disaster, what roles do trees play on our rapidly changing planet? If we're going to really try and hit this 1.5 degree mark, which I think is still attainable, carbon sequestration is definitely a part of that solution because I don't think we're going to hit that with emissions reductions alone. And trees are a great way to do that, sequester carbon. But then they also do these things like filter out stormwater and absorb stormwater and uh, prevent erosion and all kinds of things that really help us out from a variety of different hazards that are going to increase in severity with the changing climate. But we hear about like these urban heat islands, but you don't live in a city. Well, there's even microclimates on a street. If you're on a shaded street, I think that can be sometimes up to 10 degrees cooler than, than one that has no trees. So trees are a win, 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 win. And I would imagine there's no one who is opposed to trees at all. And like a town that you live in, everyone's happy. They're like, yeah, 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 more trees, more trees. Is that right? That's not what I've encountered. There's sometimes an opposition to planting trees and growing trees in a town. And I don't quite understand that. There's often some pushback when the suggestion to plant trees is around. And some of that is stuff that I, I, I don't understand and I don't have a good way to articulate that. But I think there is also something about people often plant trees and then don't have a plan to take care of them. That can be discouraging for some people. Maybe they've been burned by a tree plant in the past and have some past trauma that they're, that they're working out in the public realm. 
that's actually something that as activists and organizers and as people that are just involved even in our on our block that we can take from that criticism how can we plant and grow a tree you've noticed that i've been using the word how do we grow trees water it every summer that sort of thing make make sure that it's being cared for that it's being responsibly pruned if if there's a, a dangerous branch that that arises I think we all should recenter that. How do we grow trees? This is not something that I had a great deal of knowledge about going into my work, but it's it's also the type of thing that people are happy to teach other people about planting trees. I think trees also have kind of a spiritual quality about them too. They're sort of the monks or elders of a town that silently keep watch over generations. They really are a testament to the work that people did a long time ago to grow these things. So, it's cool to be a part of that legacy, and I hope people take this knowledge and grow a tree. That was Taylor Lightman, program manager for Lewisburg Neighborhoods. When he is not making his community a better place, Taylor loves to ride his bike, collect books, and travel. To round off this conversation about trees, Dana Nucitelli joins us for another segment of the Nerd Corner. Hi, I'm Dana Nucitelli, CCL Research Coordinator, and this is the Nerd Corner. I'm here to highlight some interesting new climate research for the nerds out there and to make it understandable for the nerd curious. In this episode, we consider the question... What are the different ways we would benefit from planting more trees in cities and towns? This question is critical to CCL's Healthy Forest Policy Area. According to research from scientists at the Nature Conservancy, planting more urban trees in the United States has the potential to capture up to 100 million tons of carbon dioxide pollution per year. That's equivalent to removing about 20 million cars from the road, or all of the gasoline-powered cars in the entire state of Texas. But planting trees in cities doesn't just help the climate, it also benefits people's physical and mental health. For example, as global warming brings increasingly frequent and extreme heat waves, urban trees improve our resilience to that heat by providing shade and releasing water into the air. Tree canopies also provide a measure of protection from the sun's harmful ultraviolet rays. A number of studies have also found that exposure to urban forests generally reduces people's mental and physical stress, anxiety, and depression, and that they improve our moods. Research shows that people live more active lifestyles when living near urban forests. They also tend to have healthier immune systems, lower incidences of cardiovascular disease, and feel a greater sense of connectedness, belonging, and trust. And students on school campuses with greater tree cover perform better academically. But while people in communities with more trees live longer, happier, healthier lives on average, America has a tree inequity problem. Communities of color have 33% less tree canopy on average than majority white communities, and neighborhoods with the highest poverty rates have 41% less tree coverage than the wealthiest communities. Our friends at American Forests created a tool at treeequityscore.org with data about the level of tree inequity in every community around the country. Check out treeequityscore.org to see where tree planting would be the most effective in your community to remedy this tree inequity problem. I'm Dana Nucitelli with The Nerd Corner. Thank you for being curious and for your commitment to climate progress. 
to join the discussion about climate science, technology, economics, and policy with CCL's research team, check out the Nerd Corner at cclusa.org slash nerd-corner. That's cclusa.org slash nerd-corner. I hope to see you there. Thank you, Jaina. And thank you for joining me for episode 90 of Citizens Climate Radio. Are you someone who wants to see legislation passed to protect, maintain, and promote healthy forests? That is exactly what we're doing through Citizens Climate Lobby. We recognize the power of volunteers when we come together to educate the public and speak directly to our lawmakers. We provide you training tools and other resources. And we need your voice to be part of the movement that is promoting healthy forests and other solutions. To learn more, visit cclusa.org. If you haven't heard it yet, definitely check out last month's episode. It has the best of lists you may have been looking for. We not only list the best new books and podcasts about climate change, we speak to the writers and podcasters themselves. Today's episode of Citizens Climate Radio is written by Dana Nuccitelli and me, Peterson Toscano. I produce the show from my little studio in Sunbury, Pennsylvania, along the banks of the Susquehanna River. Technical support for our show comes from Ricky Bradley and Brett Cease. Assisting with social media, we have Flannery Winchester and Samantha Johnstone. Moral support for our show comes from Madeline Para. And please, share Citizens Climate Radio with your friends and colleagues. I love seeing your social media posts. Thanks for tagging us. If you want to leave a message, tell us about your walks in the forest or anything about the show or topics you want to hear about, you can email us radio at citizensclimate.org or call our listener voice line. The number is 619-512-9646. Visit cclusa.org slash radio to see our show notes, a full transcript, and find links to our guests. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens Climate Education.